Welcome back to A Twist of Faith. As always, I'm your host, Alex Parkview. This week we're going to pick up on Canto 9, which covers Circle 6 of the Inferno, which is the home to the heretics. And if you remember, when we last left Dante and Virgil, they were stuck at the gates of Dis, and they could not get past the rebellious angels on their own, so they were praying for heavenly guidance and assistance. So today we're going to find out what happens with that, and we're going to get into the circle when they get there. Quick plug, though, unrelated, um, Better Call Daddy with Rena Friedman Watts. I did an interview with her a while back, and that is now available if you haven't listened to it yet, and you want to get to know a little bit about my background and me, the person, you can check that out. She's available on all the podcast streaming platforms, as I am. She has her website, bettercalldaddy.com, and it's just, she covers a wide variety of topics, from interviewing various people, there's no such thing as a safe space, like anything is fair game. Her father chimes in with his words of fatherly wisdom at the end of every episode. Listening back to my own interview with her actually kind of made me tear up when it got to the part where he was putting his uh, take on the episode. All in all, like even though I'm the one who did the interview, it's a completely different experience talking and doing it versus listening back to it. It's actually pretty powerful. So, I mean, it was my own interview and it made me tear up. So you can imagine. So definitely check that out if you get a chance. Uh, remember to subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Even if you never look at it again, just subscribe to it. It'll help me out. You can email me, twistoffaithpodcast at gmail.com, all one word. You can hit me up on YouTube in the comments. Any social that I'm on, I'm under Alex Parkview. Those of you who know quote-unquote, the real me, you know where to find me on Facebook. That one I don't give out as easily, but on all the other socials, you can look me up under Alex Parkview. If you ever want to get a hold of me for questions, commentary, love mail, hate mail, etc. So, just wanted to drop all that real quick, and then, like I said, we're just going to pick up where we left off in Canto 9, Circle 6 of the Heretics, so stick around for that. All right. When we last left Dante and Virgil, as you remember, they were praying for heavenly guidance, heavenly intervention, a power on high to help them cow the rebellious angels. Because they were unable to cow the opposition presented by the rebellious angels, a certain sense of dread washes over them. <clears throat> remember, they're just sitting there praying, they're stuck, they're nervous, they're anxious. They're literally like halfway through hell at this point, and they don't know what the hell's going to happen to them, no pun none that one, but Virgil's trying to hide his anxiety and nerves from Dante, due largely to the fact that he's been a savior of sorts thus far, so he doesn't want to like present that he has weaknesses, that he's not certain how to proceed. He's just kind of freaking out, but trying not to let Dante know it, but it turns out that that's an act in futility, because Dante also realizes that they're seemingly fucked at this point. They're going to be trapped in hell, they're not going to be able to get by the rebellious angels, and they're just going to be stuck there forever. But then... Maybe they won't be. Hmm. And it doesn't help things with their nerves and their anxiety that the three infernal furies, which are symbolic of eternal remorse, appear nearby and start threatening them and blaspheming in their direction, taunting them, and they threaten to call upon Medusa to turn them to stone and petrify them. Now, it's interesting to me that Dante uses uh, figures such as Medusa the Furies, the Harpies, if you will, because that's Greek mythology more so than Catholicism. And we're talking about Pluto Hades mentioned in this stuff too. So, I mean, he was clearly Roman Catholic and the 
tone of his work, but then he's dipping into other belief systems, which goes against Catholic teachings at the same time, because in the Catholic faith, you go by what they tell you, nothing else. So it's just interesting to me to see him pull in these other elements from other belief systems. Maybe it's just for effect. I don't, maybe in his visions of how he saw these things, maybe because it's hell, they can exist outside of that Catholic whatever, because hell is outside of God's light. So maybe all these Greek mythological figures are there. It's just an interesting little sidebar to me on that one. It is worth noting with the Medusa thing, though, that in Dante's portrayal, Medusa's gaze that turns man to stone, if you're familiar with Greek mythology, her gaze is symbolic of a great evil that one must not gaze upon if they are to be saved. So it's almost like a metaphorical, figurative turning to stone, the way he describes it, because the evil will harden you against the light so that you can't be saved if you gaze upon it. It's just Dante, like I said, with his word choices that he uses in the actual work, which, if you want to read it, by all means, pick up a copy. It's one of the timeless classics. His word choices and the way he portrays things are just so simple to read, but so brilliantly painted as to give you the most vivid picture you could ever imagine. Like, I go through and read some of the actual... Um, poetry works as well as my summations and I can just see what he's experiencing his way with words is powerful now the infernal furies that I mentioned that are threatening him with Medusa and all that are from Greek and Roman mythology <clears throat> and as I said that's interesting again that he picks mythology as part of his description of the Catholic tormenting of the inferno the Furies are so named Alecto, which means unceasing anger, Tisiphone, the avenger of murder, and Megara, the jealous. Now, because of Dante's usage and placement of them in the Inferno and what they represent as far as obstacles on his journey through the Inferno, it could very easily be said that they represent one's own conscience. If you think about it, we all have that deep, dark anger inside of us. We're all wishing for the ability to avenge crimes, sins, whatever word you want to use. And every one of us, to a degree, has jealousy in us. We just have to remember to try to keep our jealousy righteous and not controlling and stupid. So the fact that there's those three parts is kind of symbolic of the three parts in us that form our conscience, our moral base within us, if you will. And also, complete sidebar that I didn't even put in the show notes, but I just like the fact that there's three of them, because this ties in with the mythology piece that I mentioned. There's three aspects of fate as well. There's Clotho, who spins the threads of life, Lachesis, who measures and places them in the tapestry, and Atropos, who cuts the threads and determines the date of our death. So three is a powerful number when you're looking at religious things. There's a lot of, like, Jesus the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, the Holy Trinity. There's a lot of threes in religion. And that's kind of ironic, because uh, just yesterday, actually, Lady Parkview was telling me that she always sees 333, the angel number, so I looked that up for her, just so she would have a better understanding. And without going into great detail on angel numbers, because I don't want to go too far off topic, it mentions that that's like, basically, uh, 
sign from your guardian angels that they are watching out for you, that they're going to help guide you through the rough spots in your life. Again, just kind of fascinates me, a little off topic, sidebarring again, but the threes. There's always threes in religious works, and that's just kind of interesting. I don't know if there's any actual significance to it, or if it's just a big-ass coincidence, but I find it interesting. So <clears throat> Now, right as it seems things are at their worst for Dante and Virgil, like Medusa's there, and they're turning away from her sinful uh, gaze that's going to turn them to stone... And they're covering their eyes, and the Harpies' Furies are cussing the shit out of them and mocking them. And they're about ready to give up hope. Right when it seems that it's that low, a great storm from above comes and shakes the very foundations of the pit. The wind starts whipping, the sinners start scattering. They're just scattering like trash in the wind by this great force that's rumbling down from above from the heavens. They can't fucking maintain their place in this power's presence. And that force, that storm, is caused by the heavenly messenger. The heavenly messenger approaches them. And my thoughts on the identity of the heavenly messenger, because it doesn't give us a great big old description, it doesn't say it's Jesus God or anything like that, I interpret it to be kind of like an archangel, like that warrior of God, warrior of the heavens... It's just the all-powerful, like the fire and justice of heaven coming down the light of the Lord into the darkness of the pit. Cow before me, you fucking worms. Get away from these two. They are under my protection. So he comes down in this storm, and he walks straight on his path. He does not look to the left. He does not look to the right. He doesn't allow himself to be distracted by anything of any periphery and points his heavenly staff towards the gates of Dis. And they open as if butter before a hot knife. Like, all the rebellious angels and all the shit that Dante and Virgil couldn't get past, the power of the Lord brought down from heaven is able to just clear the way with a simple flick of a wand, gesture of a cane, whatever, staff, whatever you want to call it. Like, that, it's that power. And when he's opening the gates, he rebukes the rebellious angels and the denizens of hell for their insolence, going so far as to remind them what they will face if they stand against the will of him on high. And he even mentions to the rebellious angels while he's berating them for their insolence, did you forget what happened to the hell pup Cerberus and why he, his skin is flayed because he too once thought to get in the way of heaven's power? So after he does all of this and gets through he has accomplished his heavenly mission and he just returns once he came he's gone as quickly as he appeared right back up back the way he came up through the storm back into the heavens he appeared he came and saved the day for Dante and Virgil who prayed and had true faith in their prayer that this messenger of God was going to come and deliver them from that which they could not deliver themselves from so now the two are finally able to proceed, and they enter the gates that have opened. Remember, it just took that little flick of the wand. The heavenly staff, finally able to proceed, they find themselves in the sixth circle of hell, which is home to the heretics. Briefly going to touch on history of heretics as it relates to Catholicism, not like history class style, but me style. 
and pretty sure there's not a person alive who has not at least heard of the Crusades. I could be wrong, because Lord knows what they teach these days. <clears throat> but the Crusades were the Catholic Church and its armies of the faithful fighting against those that would blaspheme against the word of the Lord. The heretics basically said... We believe that there is no afterlife, there is no soul. Fuck you, church. Your teachings are full of shit. When you die, the soul dies with you if there is one. So we're not going to conform to what you want us to be. They were living very independently, very outspoken, very belligerently. And the church, of course, can't have that kind of opposition I've mentioned before that the Catholic Church in the Vatican is a very mafioso-style setup, at least to me, because look at all the power they've amassed. You think they got it by just letting people talk shit and do whatever they want? So these people were saying, fuck you, church, and the church said, fuck you, you're going to die. So the Crusades, the holy wars where so many people were slaughtered at the hands of the church, the Inquisitions, all of it. All because they denied the existence of God in an afterlife. The church said, fuck you, you're going to pay for that, and you're going to pay for that with your lives. <clears throat> and because they battled the church very literally, they died for their beliefs, which a lot of people tell you, you know, it's a good thing to, if you're going to go, you got to go for something. But if you're going to die for being a heretic, I got some bad news for you. You're going to end up in circle six of the inferno here. And upon entry to circle six, Dante and Virgil see what appears to be a cemetery setting in a vast countryside. So the, again, this is all the heretics of all the fucking world that died at the hands of the inquisitors and the Catholic church and the crusades, which were wars fought in God's name, which I'm pretty sure God would frown on that. Yeah. He fucking had his, uh, son Jesus there flipping over tables in the temples and shit, but he did not fucking want people to be, I don't know, he just, he wanted people to come to know him and his son. He wanted people to accept salvation that he offered from himself which sounds kind of fruity if you think about it because he's sending himself in the flesh to die because he can't come down because he can't die it's i don't know but they end up in the cemetery because they died so angrily in this battle of the crusade so violently for these beliefs that they held so wrongly according to the catholic church and all the tombs vary in size and appearance because it's men of all sizes and beliefs and builds, different nobilities, I'm sure. But the interesting things, the lids are removed from the tombs and lying beside them, and they're all bathed in this glowing, roaring hellfire. Remember, in Lower Hell, we actually get into the hellfire punishments. So the entombed dead wail in absolute anguish for all of eternity, their non-corporeal bodies feeding the flames for all time. Like, how powerful is that, that they are so damned because in life they did violence to the Most High by denying His promise of eternity in the afterlife? Because of those teachings that one soul dies with the body, they are forever damned to burn in the fiery morgue of God's wrath. 
Now, if you're at all familiar with the Old Testament, you know that the God of the Old Testament was a very righteous, angry God. He was all about hellfire and brimstone and punishment, raining down sulfur to destroy cities that went against him, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole story with Lot and his wife turning into a pillar of salt. It's just like to appease him, you had to cleanse yourself through sacrifice. There were always two lambs. There was the pure white lamb that you would sacrifice to God, and then there was the dirty, filthy lamb, which represented the sin that would be cast off. It was just a whole level of that fiery, divine anger of the most high in the universe. Now, again, with Dante, as I've said, you have to bear in mind that it's based on Catholic teachings. So a lot of what I'm talking about is coming from that place of Catholicism. Obviously, you know, I don't ascribe to the Catholic beliefs by this point, if you've listened to so much as an episode or two. But Dante's writings, we have to come at them from that place of Catholicism and that point of understanding of Catholicism. So, basically, if you blaspheme God, remember that unforgivable sin I mentioned, blaspheming the Spirit. If you blaspheme God to the point where you deny his very existence... You're going to fucking rot forever and burn forever in a fiery tomb, never being able to find rest, peace, or an end to your suffering. It's pretty fucking powerful stuff. I'm going to take a quick pause, come back, and then I'm going to give you my usual, I'll just call it the final thought. Fuck, I might as well. I'm the Jerry Springer of podcasts at this point. So I'll come back with my final thought where I just kind of tie things in and you know, go a little, hey, whatever. I'm not sure how I'm going to tie it in yet. I, I like to do stream of consciousness for that, so I'm going to look back over, and we'll see. So I don't have any super deep tie-ins for this one, really. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory self in and of itself. Basically, like, the lesson that Dante wants you to learn from this one is if you have beliefs so strongly that you're willing to die for them, you better fucking hope you're right, because if you're wrong, you're fucked. Like, we mentioned, you know, the whole thing about finding your path, stay true to your path, own your path. And I'm not going to tell anybody not to believe what they don't believe, but if you're going to go so far as to teach things that you believe, you better be right. Like, with my show here, I don't fucking try to convince you of anything, I don't try to tell you how to do things. I took badmouth the Catholic Church quite a bit, yeah, I know, but that aside, like I said, if you are Catholic, I'm not going to tell you not to be. I'm not pushing beliefs on you, because that's not my place. Everybody has to find their own beliefs in life. And I'm not confident enough in, in, that I'm willing to gamble an eternity of damnation in any faith for making other people follow that which I do believe, which ironically enough, with my beliefs, again, I'm never going to tell you what they are, but with my beliefs, <clears throat> that wouldn't really be an issue. So, I don't know, if you're going to sit there like, oh, I'm going to use the heretics just because that's what we're covering. If you're going to sit there and deny God to the point where you try to convince others to deny God, well, guess what? According to Dante, they were wrong, and they're fucked for eternity paying the price. 
the only belief that I'm ever going to push on you or t- beliefs is don't be a shitty human. You hear that all the time from me. And basically just be a critical thinker. I'm going to go back to LeVay for a quick second because I do love this one thing he said in the Satanic Bible. Total paraphrase because I don't remember exactly how he worded it. But uh, <clears throat> he said basically it was question everything because one misbelief is the beginning of all unwisdom or something to that effect. You don't just blindly follow. I mean, how many people blindly followed the heretics and do they suffer the same fate as the heretics as a result in this example? It's just you have to question things. You have to think critically. I hate groupthink. You know that by now. I absolutely hate groupthink. It's toxic as fuck, and it accomplishes nothing except making you a fucking clone, drone, sheep, whatever insertion you have for that. Be an individual critical thinker. Like I said, all of this that I do, other than the source material, all the things I touch on, like the mythology stuff and things of that nature, I have done independent religious and spiritual study for so much of my life that I couldn't picture my life without it. So the things that I tell you, you can take at the value of what they are. I'm not going to say that they are the correct or true things. Again, not my place. But if you listen to this and you glean something from this, then just be prepared to accept whatever consequences may lie in store for you. Because another Parkview-ism of mine is actions have consequences. So be prepared to accept whatever consequences may await you for that which you choose to believe. I mean, I hate to tell you, but I'll go back to the interview I did with Rena, where her dad chimed in at the end with his fatherly thoughts and wisdom and his breakdown of our thing. And I told him at the end of it, I did a like, reaction video. He absolutely nailed it. He says that he basically said actions have consequences. He used a different set of words, which it made me smile when he said that, because that's like one of my taglines, how actions have consequences. It's a very true thing. It's something I've experienced and the lesson I've taught in my life to some. <clears throat> but actions absolutely have consequences. Make good choices, have good outcomes. Make bad choices, have bad outcomes. Sometimes in life, things are out of our control. You can't blame yourself for those things. All you can do is your best to survive and possibly try to thrive again in those situations. And that ties back into my thing from the last episode where I told you not to be afraid to reach out for help. I fucking Dante and Virgil and their infinite holy God powers for this mission need help. Then who the fuck are we to say, fuck you, I'm not going to ask for it. Here's a little tidbit about me. Alex Parkview doesn't cry. Alex Parkview is a stoic motherfucker. Alex Parkview has cried. But only when he feels safe. Because the world will never see my tears. Certain people get to. It, you, you have to fucking have faith in people as much as you do in your belief system. <clears throat> I mean, I'm going to pull up uh, Twitter real quick just because there's a comment that a buddy of mine left. And uh, he sums it up kind of nicely. The way, the way he said it, it was a reaction to the interview. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but one part he said, uh, I think lots of folks out there echo mine and Alex's perspective, which is less faith in an invisible force and more faith in our fellow man. 
I mean, obviously, I do have my beliefs related to divine things, which, unless I do that paywall episode in the future, you're not going to know what they are. But he nails it. Like, you have to have faith in your fellow man. You hear me say all the time, I hate people. So if I hate people, how can I have faith in them? I don't put my faith in everybody. I put my faith in a very select few people. Very select few. The one person that I absolutely put my faith in as far as, like, that vulnerability, that sense of security, that just holds me until it makes it feel better, safer, till I'm me again, is Lady Parkview. Because if you don't have that in a relationship, along with all the trust and everything else that they entail, you really don't have anything. And I am not the type to let my guard down easily. At all. At all. So it's definitely something to think about. That when you find that person and you just feel that comfortable. Life, man, it's surreal. But on the Dante note again, like I said, I'm just going to say, I tell you pretty much with all the circles, um, you better be prepared to pay if you do the crime, be prepared to do the time, basically. Like, as you uh, sow, so too shall you reap. <clears throat> because in the Inferno, all the punishments fit the crimes. So, I mean, live your life the way you want to, but bear in mind, depending on what you believe, you may end up paying for it very dearly you may end up rewarded for it very dearly. It depends on what you believe, what ends up ultimately being true, which, again, nobody can tell us because the ones that could are already gone. So just find a path, stay on it, and hope to fuck you chose wisely, I guess. It's pretty much all I have for tie-ins on this one. It didn't take a wild turn like some of them do. But I will say, on a related but unrelated note, <clears throat> uh, next week is going to be a rough week for me bad time of year for me so I'm probably going to deviate from Dante a little bit and just do a bonus episode as my regular episode next week I'm not stopping the Dante coverage I just, I'm just i not going to be in a mood to talk about anything but one particular thing and even that is painful as fuck to talk about so it'll be a little raw and real for all of you I'm sure it's a little different than the norm that you've come to expect from the podcast. If there is a norm on my show, probably not because I'm kind of just all over the place. I squirrel quite a bit, but I'm probably going to do the episode that I mentioned. I want to say last week, which is where I was talking about possible future bonus episodes. I'm probably going to do the one where I talk about losing my dad and what that did to my faith as far as faith in the divine and just, kind of air out some of my personal grief to get through it. So it'll be kind of raw. It'll be kind of real. It's going to be painful for me to do, but if anybody listens to it and is able to help process their own grief better, then it'll be worth it. I mean, it's fucking 13 years this June that he's passed. His birthday is upcoming, hence the hard time that I'm having currently. <clears throat> so it'll be 13 years and there's, days when I'm fine, completely fine, and then there's days when I just feel like I can't move. It's completely random grief. So if anybody ever tells you that you're grieving wrong, you tell them that Elks Parkview said that you are supposed to tell them to go fuck themselves because there's no wrong way to grieve as long as you're not hurting yourself. I realize depression. I am a victim of depression myself. 
But as long as you are not hurting yourself, grieve how you need to. And just because I alluded to the Jerry Springer similarity, I'm going to say, until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.